Welcome, Restoration. Good to see you this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan, if you're new. <laughs> um, hey, I just want to take a moment and talk about this season we're in as a church, give you a little update. We are, um, for this season, moving as, as a church in smaller communities of house churches. And this is a, a difficult and yet uh, important moment for us as a church because it is forcing us to connect in different ways versus just showing up on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, consuming some teaching, um, doing some small talk, grabbing a donut and leaving um, once a month. <laughs> what we're hoping is that you would take this as a moment of initiative, uh, have some courage, um, and put yourself out there to get to know others, to uh, connect with others, to bring something to our community in, in a smaller way. And so we have developed house churches, uh, we have hosts, we have leaders, uh, we have an online church guide that you can connect with on our website. If you go to restorationcolorado.org, there's a house church tab. Every weekend that gets updated, it's a new order of worship. Uh, I encourage you to check that out. You can come ready um, to know what's going to happen. Um, and then for those of you who are not ready to be in somebody else's home at the moment, we get that and that's fine, but we still want you to be a part of an intentional online community, a Zoom hangout, Sunday mornings, 10.30 a.m. That is also on our website, restorationcolorado.org. There's a Zoom button right on the main page, 10.30, hit that button and, and jump into another community of people who are wrestling through some of the teaching that we're doing here every Sunday morning. So church, I just want to encourage you um, we are uh, seeing our church connect in a way that is unlike any other time. And our leadership team and our staff are all working hard behind the scenes to reach out to people, to connect us, to form groups. There's new house churches forming today. Um, and so wherever you are in the life of your house church, some of your house churches are brand new. You're getting to know each other. You're really not sure about each other. Some of you got, you know, like some, you're, you're just not sure. You're not sure what to say or, or how to act or, or, or really who these people are yet. Um, I just want to encourage you, just give it some time. Give it some intentionality in your life. And, and we will see a, a huge um, benefit as a community uh, for us knowing each other and being intentional. So let me pray and we'll get into some of this teaching. Father, thank you so much for this time. This moment in the life of our church is so, so important. It is so important for us to, uh, to fight and push, to connect, to put ourselves out there, to know others, to pursue each other, to encourage each other, pray for each other. God, you're doing something in our midst. And even though it's difficult, God, I know we're going to look back on this moment and say we can see the fingerprint of God at work, at restoration, and in our lives. Uh, we pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, I wanted to remind us of something. And I want to just start us off with a reminder. I think this is really important. The way of Jesus is exactly that. It's a way. It's a way of life. And when we choose to follow Jesus, when we, 
When we choose to follow Jesus, it's not an add-on. It's not a hobby. It's not just a, a season or a phase. It's not a Sunday thing. It's actually a whole way of life, following Jesus. And choosing to follow Jesus is, it's a big deal. It's a life-changing deal. And it's when we choose to put our trust and our allegiance in something else, um, and, and that Jesus calls us to change our allegiance to him, that is a big deal. It changes um, how we see our lives. And over time, everything rubs up against that decision to follow Jesus. Our finances, our, our dreams, our, the things that we uh, once thought were important become less important. And things that were never important to us before now become our calling, our life's mission. And because of what Jesus has done on the cross, his death and his resurrection, we actually have a future that we're tethered to that is, that is pulling us towards what God wants us to be. And this is an us thing. It's not a me thing. It's not an individual thing. It is a, it's an us thing. And so in my life, I am constantly trying to figure out what needs to surrender and how my life enmeshes itself in other people's lives. And I need people in my life. I need a community in my life. I need the others in my life um, to help me live out the teachings of Jesus, help me to uh, uh, rub, rub off the things in my life that are not what God intended. And so the entrance into that community is baptism. And we see it all through the New Testament, how baptism is part of this entrance into the people of God. And the people of God, uh, Paul uses this all the time. He talks about adoption into sonship. And part of the piece of that is a family. And so Paul has not only the fact that following Jesus is a way of life, it is a major decision it is a life-changing new creation moment in our lives. Paul also has in mind that you and I are in a family, that we have been adopted into the family of God. And his letter to the Philippians is actually a thanks, it's a, it's a thank you note with a whole lot more, but it's truly a great thank you note because he was in such a bad way in prison. Epaphroditus uh, comes with a gift of money to help Paul continue to eat and live. Um, and he comes 800 miles from Philippi to Rome. And this letter is delivered back with Epaphroditus to the people of Philippi. And they end up reading it out loud in a courtyard church, a courtyard of Lydia's house, in Philippi. And I'm going to tag on a little bit we talked about last week, and then we're going to go further. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. This is verse three. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We talked about those 
three words, began, good, and completion last week. But he continues on. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share it in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of King Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love will abound, may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ uh, Jesus to the glory and praise of God. Now, I will say this, that sometimes, and I've heard this a lot, some people are, are frustrated with Paul uh, sometimes. They read Paul and they think Paul is kind of mean and he's a little heavy-handed um, in some of his letters. And they're like, man, Paul, he's not like Jesus. Um, Paul, Jesus seems like this nice guy that's just likes kids and heals people. Uh, Jesus said some really difficult things. So if you're, if you're comparing the two of these, uh, Jesus actually has some really harsh words for, for his audience. But Paul, um, I think Paul gets a bad rap, personally. I think uh, he's portrayed as like this stern, uncom uncompromising guy. But really, if we read the whole New Testament, if we read his letters, um, and if we understand the context of how he's writing these letters, he genuinely cares for the people of God. He genuinely cares for them, uh, and sometimes he calls them out. But we see here that Paul is a man of affection. He's a man of passion, and he's got this huge pastoral heart. And, and in addition to that, Paul is no snob. He, he literally befriends people from all different walks of life, from all sections of society, including women, uh, slaves, and foreigners. Um, his traveling ministry co-workers are people from all different cross-sections of life. Um, Paul was fiercely loyal as a friend. I mean, read Philemon. Um, and, 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 he's, and he's an encouraging colleague, and he loved people so much, and he was not afraid to call things out in people. But what I think is really important, I just want to take a second, is a lot of times we read Scripture, and I want to kind of reorient our minds a bit here around something important. We tend to read Scripture from an individualistic perspective, meaning a lot of times we read scripture alone. In fact, if you, uh, you've been grown up in the church, you've probably been taught um, the most important thing to do now that you're a follower of Jesus is read your Bible and have a quiet time. And usually what that means is alone. And that is not really how scripture was intended to read. And we have a 10-man table group, a couple of them that meet. These are guys to get together on Thursday mornings. We read scripture out loud, and then we uh, talk about it. And it's so, it's so amazing to hear the different perspectives of what people picked up on. Um, and so we have a dangerous thing for us as Americans as we read th passages like this, and we think that Paul is writing this to an individual, or Paul is... And we're hearing this as an individual because the reality is um, we've all just been grown. We've been grown to think as an individual. 
as an American individual with our, our personal liberties and our personal rights. Listen to what uh, Randolph Richards, Richards says in his book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. He says this, Western societies are by and large individualistic societies. The most important uh, entity in an individualistic culture is the individual person. This misreading of scripture arises from combining our individualism with a more subtle, deeply hidden, and deeply rooted aspect of our Western worldview. We still think the universe centers around us. And so the danger is when we read scripture, we think it revolves around us. And um, that's that whole, uh, that's why I'm always pushing back against a personal relationship with Jesus. That this is, um, yes, we, we have connection with Jesus as an individual person, but that's not the end point. And it's not the starting point that we're created for community. And so this passage, all the you's and the yours are plural. That's what I'm trying to get at. Paul is not saying this, you individual person, you, uh, your individual life. He's actually using a plural uh, word here to describe the people. And what's also interesting is Paul uses the term brothers and sisters. He doesn't in this passage, but 150 times in Paul's writing, he uses brothers and sisters. And he talks about the main connection as the church, or in the Greek word, the ekklesia, the gathering, as siblings, that we are siblings of God's family, that we are all adopted into sonship and daughtership, and we are siblings. And so Paul has this, I just want you to hear this as a, as a we, not as a you. It is a we together. And so he starts off, verse 7, let me just say this. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Now, this isn't like some, when he talks about feel, he's not, it's not like this gushy, uh, sentimental thing. Um, he's talking about when he thinks about the, the people in Philippi, he has a, an opinion, he has a mindset, he has a frame of reference for them. And he says this makes sense because, uh, because of the depth of our relationship. We go way back, Paul says, that we go way back. He says, I know you and you know me. He says, we have prayed together, we've cried together, we've suffered, we've celebrated, we've forgiven each other, we've actually confronted each other, we've eaten with each other, we've cared for each other. Paul says, we go way back and it's only right for me to feel this away because you're in my heart. He's like, we're siblings. And, and this has been, I think, something that's been really highlighted in this season. And we've talked, um, our small group has gotten together and we've actually talked about some of the benefits that we've experienced in the last number of months. And, and, and there's been so much difficult and so much pain and so much hardship and so much loss, obviously uh, people getting COVID, things like that. So I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not playing games with that. But what I'm saying is there's been also some really powerful things that we've been affected by. And it's given us the opportunity 
to push into potentially a new way of practicing what it looks like to be the church, to be the ecclesia of God, to be brothers and sisters. And this is a really powerful moment. And, and what I want to say really quickly is I've been on conference calls. I've been talking to other pastors. There's really three types of church right now. Uh, there's churches that are like, we're going to meet together no matter what. We're just going to, you know, Jesus will protect us. And we'll have a different conversation about that if you'd like. Um, the second one is, um, hey, we just can't wait for everything to go back to normal. And normal, uh, our normal way of patterning our Sunday thing, and I'm just going to step aside here, is we show up at a building like this. We all face one direction. Um, and then the, we're presented material from the stage. And then we get up and we think about our lives really as individuals. How did this sermon impact me? Um, did I like it? Was it entertaining? You know what I'm saying? And then uh, we leave. Sometimes we go grab some lunch. Call it a day. That is the American ex church experience. That is not what Paul had in mind. That is not what Paul had in mind. This is not how the, the Philippian house church is interacting. And so this moment actually is forcing us. And the beauty is when you don't have a building, you're not tied to a certain way of doing things. And we can actually play around a bit. We can actually try some things. And I know some of you don't like change. I get it. But I want to encourage you that this is more true to how the early church was. Um, and, and this is that same book, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. Um, he says, if we're not careful, our individualistic assumptions about church can lead us to think of the church as something like a health club. We're members because we believe in the mission statement and want to be part of the action. As long as the church provides the services I want, I'll stick around. But when, I, but when I no longer approve of the vision or I'm no longer being fed, I'm out the door. This is not biblical Christianity. Scripture is clear that when we become Christians, when we become followers of Jesus, we become permanently and spiritually part of the church, part of the family of God. We become part of the family of God with all the responsibilities and expectations that that word connotes in the non-Western world. So to be a part of the family, Paul is actually saying we actually have a responsibility towards each other. That there's actually, we have skin in the game with each other. That we actually should uh, push each other forward and encourage each other and call each other out and forgive each other and love each other and lay down our lives for each other because that's part of what families do. And so since we have this responsibility uh, together, Paul actually continues on. He says, so whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, Paul says, you have shown your responsibility to me. You've actually cared for me. You're in my heart. And Paul's in change and defending is a legal thing, uh, legal debate and confirming, showing evidence of the gospel. And he says, all of you share in God's grace with me. And remember the definition of grace a few weeks ago when we were at the outdoor uh, church 
we talked about this a bit. It, the grace is much more than God's unmerited favor towards us. It's much more than God unconditionally accepts us. It's, it's actually the power inside of us, of God, that transforms us. Um, here is my definition. We'll throw it on the screen for you. It says this, the lavish, opulent, untamed, raw, scandalous blessing of God unearned, undeserved, illogical, and disproportionate, poured out through Christ over every facet of your life, and the living presence of the Creator God deep inside of you, poured out through the Holy Spirit with limitless power to live out and up to God's calling in your life, that actually grace propels us forward, it transforms us from the inside out, and it's, it's unearned. It's actually God's love for us, not only to forgive us and give us eternity, but to actually live in and through us and transform us to, to do what God has called us to do. That is grace. And Paul says that you share in that grace with me and, and that same transformational work that is in me is in you and we share in that together. We are not done yet. God is not finished with us. He is, he is at work in each of us. And then in verse 8, it says this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the affection of Christ Jesus is an interesting term. What does that mean? The Greek word for affection used here is actually literally translated in the King James version of the Bible, the bowels. <laughs> the that the bowels, like this is like where the affection of God, uh, the like real emotion and affection comes. And this is this idea in ancient times that the bowels were considered the seat of deep emotion. That uh, when you're affected by something deeply, you actually feel it in your gut. And um, you have a, and we use the word today, gut feeling. I have a gut feeling or or thankfully our modern translation isn't the bowels. But so from Paul, it's really from the bottom of my heart, from the deepest parts of my physical body, my heart, my liver, my lungs, a deep love is coming out of me. And it's the love of Christ. It's actually not my own affection. It's not something that I feel on my own. It actually comes because of my relationship with Christ, Christ's love for you is, is deeply affecting me through me to you. And um, this is what is super important for us to understand because uh, there's some people in our lives that are really hard to handle. And you know exactly who, I'm just kidding. They're really hard for us to handle. And sometimes these people actually hurt us and we cannot muster our own affection for them. We literally have no bandwidth to have affection for them. But it is Christ's affection through us that gives us the ability to love people. For some people, it's so difficult for us on our own to actually love them, to actually go out of our way to care for them and 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 show affection for them. And Paul is drawing on Jesus's affection and, and it's kind of like this idea of Jesus, how do I love this person, right? How do I love them like you love them? Because God's love, Jesus's love is unlimited. It is, it is a scandalous love. And so for some of us, we need to tap into that. And this idea really comes from this idea that Paul was adopted. 
He experienced this adoption into sonship. He uses this all over his letters into a new family. And you got to understand something about Paul's background. Paul uh, has an amazing encounter with God, with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the reality is, is Paul is shown affection by the people of God because of Christ Jesus's love for them. So Paul on paper, okay, shouldn't have been given any affection at all. Shouldn't have been welcomed, shouldn't have been uh, forgiven, shouldn't have been cared for. And they, are, they show him grace and they show him affection and he understands what that's like. I'm in a new family now. I don't deserve this. It is unearned. And he's adopted into sonship. And his goal now is to love. His goal is to reflect, ref, reflect the love of the Father onto and into others that's not of his own making. And so this is uh, what's really fun is that we actually are the family of God, and we actually show the love of God to others, and we're called to not shame the family. Um, all through our kids growing up, whether they had a baseball game or a cello less, uh, uh, recital or something like that, we always had this joke with our kids, don't shame the family. And they knew it was fun, and you know we weren't trying to heap pressure on it. It was just like a fun little joke we had. And that's really the idea behind this. Like Paul is like, we are part of the family of God, and I'm showing you affection. And, and this is what we do. This is, this is our family motto, to love and to show affection. Um, and then he unleashes a prayer, and, and we'll wrap this up. This is the prayer of Paul for the people in Philippi. It starts with this. I pray that your love may abound more and more, that the, the love you have from Christ would overflow, that it would overflow onto the people around you, that you would love your house church, that you would love your neighborhood, that you would love your coworkers and your family and your enemies, that your love would abound more and more. And then he goes on to say, in knowledge and depth of insight. And a lot of people think this is Paul saying, okay, that you would learn more about Jesus, that you would read the Bible, and that you would have Bible studies, and you would just learn more about Scripture. Um, and, and this is, the word knowledge in the New Testament is much more than just knowing facts and knowing more information. The word knowledge is this idea of seeing people and seeing the world how God sees people and sees the world. Meaning that you would have the right view of what is true and what, is, uh, and what this world is that we live in. And so sometimes this is a, a small prophetic thing, meaning sometimes we see things in people that they don't yet see see really great traits or see what God wants to do in them. And, and we could share that with them. Uh, maybe it's seeing your neighborhood through the eyes of Jesus, seeing people um, not as the, the frustrations that they come um, with on the surface, but seeing them with the compassion and love of Jesus, that you would grow in your love and then in your knowledge and depth of insight. And then he goes on to say, so that you may be able to discern what is best. This idea of seeing the world and seeing people how God sees them helps us to make better decisions. 
helps us to withhold a rebuke or or maybe it, it helps us to care for people in a way that that or or to sacrifice something or to spend our money differently or or all of those things. You may be able to discern what is best. And then he says, and that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through King Jesus to the glory and praise of God. He uses three metaphors here to describe what he's wanting to see in their lives. The first one is pure. And this comes from this idea of washing clothes. This is literally a word used in in all the writings of the time that talk about the washing of clothes. And Paul, um, think about how they washed clothes back then. They would, they would wash them by hand, they would wring them out, and then they would hang them up. And the light of the sun was really ultimately the great um, revealer of whether something was clean or not. Because when you washed a garment out and hung it on the line and the sun shone through that garment, you could tell if you got the stains out, right? And that's the idea behind this, that their life would be pure, set up against Jesus, set up against the light of God, that there would, their confession, what they claimed to have an allegiance towards, their life would show that you would be pure. And then the next one is blameless. And we think sin-free, but that's not what blameless means. Blameless is this idea, this, this picture of uh, where I walk um, and how I walk. Uh, I keep, because of how I walk, I keep people from stumbling. I keep people from tripping up. And the idea is that where where we pattern our lives, when people follow us with a pattern of their lives, they would not stumble, they would not fall, they would not be tripped up. And then the last kind of picture metaphor is bearing the fruit of righteousness. Um, and think of an orchard, think of probably, for me, here's what I think of. I think of Benzinger Winery in Sonoma, California. Angela and I went there a number of years ago. I've shared this story before, but this is one of the only few biodynamic wineries in the world, meaning they don't use fertilizers. They bring in, uh, they make sure to, to attract the right insects to take care of things. They, they attract the right birds to take care of the insects. They, they have sheep roaming around. They don't put any fertilizer. They use sheep manure, all that kind of stuff. And so it's like this beautiful system of perfect harm. It's like the Garden of Eden of, that has ever existed. Like this is like a walking around and smelling the aroma of the grapes and all that kind of stuff. And then this winery produces unbelievable wine. In fact, they just got nominated. They got, just won the award for best wine tour in the world. And when I think of this fruit image, this idea of bearing fruit of righteousness, that like righteousness is right relationship. So when, when our lives experience right relationship, not only with each other, with ourselves, maybe you're not even in a right relationship with your own self, um, right relationship with God, right relationship with creation, that there's like a fruit to that, that there's, when we bear fruit to that, there's like something 
man, people want to be a part of that. Like that is something that people want and the, the visible and the taste and the, and the joy and the touch and all of that involved in the fact that we're, our lives are actually lining up with how God created them to be. And Jesus tells us in John 15 that in order for that to happen, you have to be connected to the vine. In order to bear fruit, you have to be connected to Jesus. That, that, that comes from being connected to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I desperately want that more in my life. Like when I think about my life and the times I get frustrated and down and discouraged and angry, those are not sweet spots for me. And when I find myself in a sweet spot, when I find myself uh, with flourishing relationships around me, that relationships where we can clean up our messes and like, and encourage each other and call each other out and forgive each other and love each other. That's where I want to be. And Paul's like, and Paul goes on and in Corinthians, he tells this idea of like, it doesn't matter how much you know or how much you've done, or if you don't have love, you're a waste of time. And, and, and then there's that love passage in 1 Corinthians, and it's not a wedding passage. It's actually a community passage. It launches into a talk about what it looks like to love each other as a community, as a Ecclesia as brothers and sisters. And so for Paul, this prayer is for their human flourishing in King Jesus. This is a prayer that Paul launches into. This is a prayer for their growth. This is a prayer for us, a plea for God to transform us, that God longs for these things in you and in me together as an us. And we pray for these things because they are not automatic. They don't just come because one day you prayed a prayer to follow Jesus. They don't just automatically show up. That doesn't happen. Uh, Ephesians 2, Paul talks about this idea of you're created for good works, that there's something ahead for us. And I just want to say this. We may be in the family of God, but not living like a family. Like we may be loosely connected and, and I just don't want this to be a one-off prayer uh, for us. I want this to be an intentional thing for us. Like you could hear this and say, man, that sounds great um, that God wants this for us, um, but it's hard to put effort into that. So I would just say this action, okay? Like you could put uh, prayer into this without any action and that would be hypocrisy. Um, but if you put action without any prayer, it would actually just be an arrogance. We can't do this on our own. We can't have this kind of transformation happen in us and in us without prayer, without each other. So church, restoration, I just wanna tell you this. I love you. I love this community. I want us to be more like Jesus. I want us to bear fruit. And I want us to bear fruit in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of inconvenience, in the midst of a politically heated time. I want us to, to bear fruit. I want us to, when we look back on this season, to go, look what God did through us. Not because we had 
unbelievable character on our own, but because we slowed down and we prayed and we intentionally prayed for each other, we prayed that God would change us and move us. So my question today is, are you in the family of God? Um, when we started this church, we had two goals. One, to, to connect with people who are far from God and to connect with people who are far from the family of God. And this idea of being adopted. And I mean, if you're far from God this morning, I just want you to know that Jesus wants to invade your life, that he's got, um, he wants to help change that inner orientation towards rebellion and towards serving yourself. And he wants to invite you into a different allegiance, an allegiance of the king. And the king is about something beautiful on this earth. And it starts with forgiveness and it starts with understanding Jesus's death and resurrection, that you have a new life ahead of you, that you can be a new creation in the words of Paul, and that you're invited into that. But it doesn't stop there. We're part of a family. And so here's what I want to encourage us to do as a house church today. And maybe for you as individuals on your own, I want to encourage you to pray for someone. Uh, Praying for someone is meaningful and it moves the heart of God. Now, praying with someone, that adds power. It actually builds trust, mutual trust in Jesus, and it actually strengthens a relationship. And so maybe you have a relationship in your life that needs strengthening. And I actually want you to pray for that person. And what would be even better is if you prayed with them. And so what I'm going to do as we close and you head to a discussion is I'm actually going to pray this prayer of Paul over you as a benediction. And this is my prayer. That our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of King Jesus, filled with a fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, and not for our glory, but to the glory and praise of God. Amen, Restoration.